The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In last week's gospel lesson, we got to hear Peter say to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We explored what all that meant, at least a little, as Peter confessed this truth that was given him by God the Father. Peter was so right. And now, just a few verses later, Peter is so wrong. And it's not God's truth that he's speaking anymore. Our gospel reading continues last week's narrative. Now the disciples know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they know that he is here to unlock heaven with the forgiveness of sins. They know the who and the why of Jesus, so now comes the how, how he is going to unlock heaven. It's old news to you, but it's new to the disciples. From that time, he begins to teach his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is not what the disciples expected, and it is not what they want to hear for all sorts of reasons. On an emotional level, they love their teacher, whom they've been following all over the place. On a self-preservation level, it's probably not good for you if the teacher you've been following gets arrested, tried, and executed. But more than that, a violent death for Jesus at the hands of the authorities just does not make sense. He is the Christ. More than that, he's the Son of God in human flesh. It's both absurd and horrific that the religious leaders would lay their hands on God's Son and deliver him to the brutal Romans to suffer such a shameful, torturous death. And it's equally ridiculous to think that the Son of the living God would let it happen. Somebody's got to say what the disciples are thinking. So it's Peter who steps up as spokesman and says, Far be it from you, Lord. 
This shall never happen to you. It would be wrong. It would be revolting. It wouldn't make sense. It would hurt. I have no doubt that Peter says this with the best of intentions, which is why Jesus' response must feel like a slap in the face. Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Oh, Peter's got to be reeling. You try to help out Jesus, and he calls you Satan. But even with the best of intentions, Peter is doing the devil's work, and the devil's work is nothing new. Ever since the Garden of Eden, the evil one's plan has been to take whatever God says, twist it, and get people to deny it. Back then it was, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In our text, it's, did the Son of God actually say that he's going to be crucified? Back in Genesis, Adam and Eve went for the wrong tree because its fruit looked good and desirable. And now Peter rejects the thought of the cross because that tree looks so wrong. It's more than that, though. Satan is just a contrarian playing opposite day to God's word all the time. The devil has heard God declare that he, the devil, will be defeated because the Christ will crush his head by suffering. While the devil, on the one hand, finds great delight in the thought of God's Son in torment, the last thing he wants is for Jesus' suffering and death to mean his own defeat and man's salvation. When Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 16 that he is here to unlock heaven by his own crucifixion, Satan's going to be more alarmed than Peter and say, that can't be. Or, as Peter says to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Let's be clear. When Jesus calls Peter Satan, he's not saying that Peter is the devil incarnate, nor is he even saying that Peter is possessed by the evil one. He is saying that, Even though Peter's reasons are completely different than Satan's, Peter is trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Even though in Peter's mind he's acting out of justice and compassion, he's still trying to prevent the salvation of the world. He's trying to stop Jesus from saving you. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, your sins remain and the devil doesn't lose. That's why Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We note that Jesus lines up the work of Satan with the things of man, because sinful man spends a lot of time denying or twisting Jesus' death for the sins of the world. Now, you're probably spared some of this, I'm more likely than you to read the work of Yehus who claim to be Christians, but then go on to argue that Jesus' crucifixion couldn't possibly be God's plan for your salvation because they can't stand the sight of redemptive blood. A few years back, for instance, I remember one of these church leaders making a splash by calling Jesus' atoning death cosmic child abuse. Lord have mercy. 
Where you do get a belly full of this is in the preaching of a lot of churches that preach a distorted sort of love in their virtue of tolerance, making a big noise that Christianity is all about showing support and acceptance for all kinds of sin. Such churches don't just tolerate sinful behaviors, but they do their best to promote and celebrate them. And worse, they do that in the name of Jesus. In other words, they are telling sinners that there is no need to repent of their sin because their sins are pleasing to God. And any church that declares that Jesus died for their sins so that they might repent and be forgiven, that church is the problem. Now, their motives might feel to them just as sincere and loving as Peter's when he told Jesus that he ought never go to the cross. But to dedicate your congregation to telling sinners that they should not repent of their sin? Whatever your motives might be, how is that not the work of the devil? Well, it's always fun to throw stones at others, But you do your share of agreeing with Satan, too. If you're sitting through this sermon and this service, there's a high probability that you're okay with the first part of the text, that Jesus suffered many things and was crucified for your salvation. You're even thankful for that news. It's the second part that you're going to have a problem with, where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So if you would go after Jesus, you are to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. This sounds like a big ask on Jesus' part and a big sacrifice on yours, but that's only because your old Adam wants you to hear it like you've got something big to do for your salvation. On the one hand, you have Jesus, the Son of the living God. He is love by nature. His will is holy and perfect. He knows what is best, and his desire is that you be delivered from sin and death. On the other hand, you have the sinful old you with that old sinful will, the desire that God would do things your way, and a penchant for getting into trouble and heading for condemnation. Your plans for you and Jesus' plans for you often contradict each other to say the least. They're diametrically opposed. When Jesus says, follow me, he's not testing you to see if you've got the guts and the grovel to give up everything for him. He's telling you that you can leave your sinful course hell-bent for destruction and have eternal life in him. And that does mean suffering, but not because you've got to earn heaven by your pain or your sacrifice. It means suffering in part because you're in a world full of sinners who are not following Jesus. Not following Jesus, they're all about the things of men, and they see you as terribly deluded in this hope of forgiveness and life in Christ. Therefore, they're going to do their best to persuade you one way or another that following Jesus is wrong. And if they can't convince you, 
They're going to do their best to force you to stop following him by bowing to this sin or that God. Even if you don't, you're going to want to, and you're going to resent Jesus for the suffering. The suffering also comes in part because you've still got that old sinful nature. You have your share of sinful desires that you want to argue are acceptable in God's eyes. In other words, you're often doing to yourself what the world is trying to do to you. This leads to suffering, either because you indulge in your sins and make a mess of your life, or because you hold a grudge against God because he wants you to be holy. Now, there are subtler versions of this. For instance, you have a plan for how life is supposed to go, and your plan might very well be in keeping with how God says life is supposed to go according to his word, with service to others, honest employment, marriage and family, a long and healthy life. You chart your plan and sort of set your schedule, but the Lord has a different plan for you. And his plan is always for your good and being holy and all-knowing. He knows better than you. But it still stings when he says that your plans are not his plan for you, even when your plan is good and within his law. That's a difficult cross to bear because then you're tempted to feel like you're being more faithful than God is. You can shake your head at Peter and a lot of what's happening in the world today. He can understand why Jesus would rebuke them by saying, Get behind me, Satan. But you also recognize that there's enough sin to go around and daily. He can say this to you. Then you stop and you think that Jesus didn't say, Depart from me. He said, Get behind me. And so then you ask yourself, What do you find behind Jesus? That's where you find his people. The ones who are carrying their crosses and following him. When Jesus tells Peter to get behind him, he's not sending him away. He's bidding him to be included among the redeemed. And the way of redemption is by way of the cross. Although we hear it as a slap in the face... It's a call, maybe even gently spoken, to repentance. No matter how much Satan or Peter might try to stop Jesus from dying for the sins of the world, Jesus is on his way to die for the sins of the world. A couple of verses before, Jesus told Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Nothing is going to stop him from the salvation of the world. Nothing has stopped him from the salvation of the world, for he has died for the sins of the world, and he is risen again. No matter what anyone or your own sinful nature might say, Jesus has died for the sins of the world, for your sins, and he pours out forgiveness in his means of grace. Daily, you're going to chafe against God's will and living by faith, sometimes in big things, sometimes in little things. Daily you test his patience with your constant tugs of, No, Lord, let's not do things your way. Daily, Jesus says, 
Get behind me and follow me. You might hear that as a rebuke, but he speaks in mercy for your salvation. Get out in front of Jesus and do the leading, and you're going to wander off because that's what sheep do. Or, in the language of our text, whoever would save his life will lose it. Follow Jesus. Because although his way goes to the cross, it continues to an empty tomb and a return in glory with all his angels. And because he gives you grace and life even now, the task of those angels on the last day is to gather you into the kingdom of heaven forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.